Amen. All right, so we're going to talk a little bit in the next week or two about stewardship. And as you know, the word stewardship literally means what? You can answer. If you're a steward, you're also a, a leader. Yeah, that's true. Manager is the word I'm actually looking for because, you know, all of that's involved, but it means to manage things. It's kind of an old word, but we still use it today. And so managing things. So basically, if you're managing something, it's something that doesn't actually belong to you. It belongs to someone else, but they give it to you and give you full right and authority so that you're managing it for them in their behalf. Okay, that's what stewardship is, and it's a way of living. And, and we're going to kind of focus in the next few weeks on, on three things, time, talent, and treasure, all right? So stewardship, because I realize that the time I have is not my own. It's all a gift from God. So how do I invest that time? How do I use that time? I want to be a good manager, and I need help from the Scripture, from the Holy Spirit, and from you we all need help. How many of you feel like you're just a perfect time manager? I was going to say, if you raise your hand, you're probably going to be already upset because I'm wasting time, right? <laughs> and then talent. That is the abilities, the gifts that we have. Some you're born with that God gave you. Some are spiritual. The Holy Spirit will give you to equip you, to enable you to do the work of the ministry that builds up the body of Christ. And then the treasures, the resources that we have that we like to think is our, our own, but they're not our own. They belong to God as well. So how do we manage those things? All right. So uh, Jesus told us we're going to kind of focus on the talent part today. And what better place to start really than right here? Not, well, okay, I guess we'll sing the doxology. Um, <laughs> somehow or another, we got the wrong screen up there. Um, yeah. All right. So Matthew 25, what better place to start than, I don't know if I did that or not. Oh, there. Thanks, Jeff. Jeff fixes stuff for us. Uh, your talent, his talent. Start with the story that Jesus told about the, guess what? Guess. Yeah, the talents. I'm just wanting some noise coming back at me a little bit, all right? The talents. Jesus told this story about the talents. It's about the kingdom of heaven in verse 14, like a man traveling to a far country, and he gives these talents. I'm going to read it, but it refers to the kingdom of God. The Lord, listen to this story. See if it sounds familiar. Jesus is about to go to the cross. This guy in the story, the Lord, the master in this story, is about to go into a far country. He's going to be leaving things in the care of his servants and those who profess to be his servants anyway. And he gives them all a certain amount of talents. Now, Actually, in this story, the talents actually refer to a measure of money. All right, so let me just do this first. You found the passage. A talent is, comes from the original word that Matthew wrote here. It's the Greek word talenton, and it is a weight or measurement especially. It doesn't have to be, but especially of gold or money or even silver. And it was a particular measurement of money in that time. But did you know that our English word that we use, talent, it seems that it may have even developed from the Greek word of him giving a measure, a measure of something for you to be responsible for, though probably our English English word came to refer to gifts and abilities and responsibilities that we have. It probably, our English word came from that Greek word. It developed later. Originally, and in the story, it refers to a measure of money, and it's kind of symbolic, right? You get it? It's a parable. Parable is an earthly story with a heavenly meaning, but 
uh, parable. Usually Jesus is trying to teach a main point, so we don't want to make everything represent things that maybe he didn't mean for it to represent. But here you know that this is what he's talking about. This is something that is measured out to each person that he gives you to manage, all right? So let's read it. He tells a story. He says, the kingdom of heaven, verse 14, is like a man traveling to a far country who, is, who called his own servants and delivered his goods to them. And he gave, and to one he gave five talents, to another two, to another one. To, listen, don't miss this part. To each according to his own ability. I got that underlined. And immediately he went on a journey. Then he who had received the five talents went and traded with them and made another five talents. And likewise, he who had received two gained two more also. But he who had received one went and dug in the ground and hid his Lord's money. After a long time, the Lord of those servants came and settled accounts with them. So he who had received five talents came and brought five other talents, saying, Lord, you delivered to me five talents. Look, I have gained five more talents beside them. His Lord said to him, Well done, good and faithful servant. You were faithful over a few things. I will make you ruler over many things. Enter into the joy of your Lord. He also also who had received two talents came and said, Lord, you delivered to me two talents. Look, I've gained two more talents besides them. His Lord said to him, Well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful over a few things. I will make you ruler over many things. Enter into the joy of your Lord. Then he who had received the one talent came and said, Lord, I knew you to be a hard man, reaping where you have not sown and gathering where you have not scattered seed. And I was afraid. No longer a slave to fear, man. But this guy was still a slave. And I was afraid and went and hid your talent in the ground. Look, there you have what is yours. But his Lord answered and said to him, You wicked and lazy servant, you knew that I reap where I have not sown and gather where I have not scattered seed. So you ought to have deposited my money with the bankers, and at my coming I would have received back my own with interest. Therefore take the talent from him and give it to him who has ten talents. For everyone who has, more will be given, and he will have an abundance. But from him who does not have, even what he has will be taken away. And Cast the unprofitable servant into outer darkness. There will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Wow. That's a good story. Now, how is it that Jesus could do a sermon or tell a story in just a few minutes and it takes us preachers a long time? Well, it's because Jesus is Jesus, right? And well, I'm not. But, but also, I think we get summaries of some of these things and, then we, and, and, and the, the scriptures. So we get to expand on it and everything. But did you notice that in this story, let's look, let's apply this to our stewardship. He gave them something to manage, did he not? It's the same way with our lives, with our time, our talent, and our treasures. I think we're on to something here, folks. Yeah? Are we ready to receive this? Okay, so this is what he did. God has measured out, this is what this is teaching us, has measured out to each one of us various abilities. He will then measure out responsibilities and tasks equal to it. Did you notice how he said that? He gave verse 15 to each one according to his own ability. 
So this is how God operates. Now, in the bulletin, you have some notes to follow along. If you got those, you can fill in some blanks and things like that. So hopefully it'll help keeping you on track and also to study and meditate on later. Uh, so this is how God works. So the real responsibility, watch this, even though they got different amounts, the real responsibility was actually the same for each one of them, was it not? So the question is never how you're doing in comparison with everybody else. Whether you have as much or whether you're doing as much. That is not, are you listening to me? That's not the question. The question is whether or not you and I, I need to hear this, Lord help me, is whether or not we are being faithful to what God has measured out to you. Some say unfair, no fair. He gets five and I only get two. God says no. You see, we live in this age where we're always comparing, comparing, comparing. We, you know, with this whole social media thing and we're posting stuff and your whole, your whole self-esteem revolves around how many likes you get. Please, somebody like me. Or otherwise, I'm a nobody. There's a lot of stuff that don't need to be seen or heard or liked. Okay. I'm getting to where, you know, I'm in that in-between generation, that weird generation, that, you know, computer class in college. When I went to college, involved a lot of like, I didn't take it, man. I don't want none of that stuff. It was confusing. Numbers and letters and code, and Clarissa was all expert in that. And, you know, that's when you actually had like this, this floppy disk that was like this big, and it was floppy, and, you know... Uh, and what do you do with it? I don't know. I learned how to type, and I thought, I'm good. Well, I'm glad I did, because it did come in handy later on. Remember how hard time you got me to, you had getting me to even use a computer in, like, the middle 1990s? I was like, I don't need that. But, um, but anyway, uh, but this is the way we live. We just think we're always comparing. We're just so, you know, and, and young people, are, they're, they're just they're growing up with that. They've never known anything different. But, you know, here God said, I measure out as I see fit. So we might want to say, no fair, he gets five and I only get two. But God says, no, I made you for two. I made you for two. Others might say, I don't want to hassle with five. How come he just has to deal with two? I don't want to hassle with five. God says, I made you for five, so get busy. Okay? Everything that we have comes from God. And... He's given it to us to manage even our time, to be a manager, a steward of it. He's put it in our hands. So a steward is a manager. Listen to David. This is right before King David dies. And he asked the people to bring in offerings to give so they could build this temple. Instead of having the tabernacle that moved around, and this is a time Christ is going to come and fulfill all that that represented. But in this time, Solomon, he, God told him, your son Solomon is going to be the one to build this. So, but before David dies, he gathers all this stuff. And it was like one of the wonders of the world when they built it. And it was all kinds of materials and things. And they gathered and people gave freely. And man, it was just such an abundance. But listen what David says. All right, are you ready? We're going to go to 1 Chronicles chapter 29. If you want to turn there, I'm going to put it up there so you don't get distracted, but at least make a note of this so you can read it later again. Um, in 1 Chronicles 29 verse 11, they had gathered all of this, and here's what David says. Are you ready? Let's go through it. David says, Yours, O Lord, is the greatness, the power, and the glory, the victory and the majesty. For all, listen to this, all that is in heaven and in earth is yours. 
Yours is the kingdom, O Lord, and you are exalted as head over all. Everything in heaven and on earth belongs to you, comes from you. Verse 12, both riches and honor come from you, and you reign over all. Are you letting that sink in? And your hand is power and might. In your hand it is to make great and to give strength to all. If you have any strength, it came from him. Um, Then verse 13 and 14, David goes on and he says, Now therefore, our God, we thank you and praise your glorious name. But who am I and who are my people that we should be able to offer so willingly as this? So we've taken and we've sacrificed. We've all given stuff, right? Listen to this. For all things come from you and of your own we have given you. We're only giving you what you gave us. So really we're only giving of your own. You get that? David recognized that. But the people had charge of it. They had a responsibility with it. But he says, even as we give it, we're really giving you back something that's already really yours. Okay? And then verse 16, he says, O Lord our God, all this abundance that we have prepared to build you a house for your holy name is from your hand and is all your own. Everything comes from God. Everything belongs to God. Really. And David wanted to recognize that. You and I need to recognize that in our own daily lives. Everything that we have, even our time, even our talents, even our treasures, even whatever we have, it comes from God. And even though he gives us charge over it, it still belongs. He could take it anytime he wants. He sure could. And so you already are getting the meaning of what Jesus is teaching in this parable. That Jesus kind of represents the master, the owner, who went away on this journey. His servants represent his people. And the first two, you notice that they wisely invested what the master had given them. They wisely invested it and um, they doubled it. And uh, so the thing I want to focus on is kind of what Jesus focused on in the end part of this is that last guy, that the one who was only measured out one because we already know something's not quite, you know, he's not quite responsible enough to receive more. And the master knew him already and knew it, but he trusted him with that. And what he did was he went and he buried it. So we're going to look at this last one. And you notice what he said when he came, he says that I, he buried it. He buried it. Now, what I want to do is say that he makes some bad accusations against his master. Say that, you know, I knew you were a hard man and you reap where you don't sow and you gather where you didn't scatter seeds and all of this. You know, I don't think that was right because as I read this story, it seems like in the story going through the other two that the Lord or the master there was very generous and caring. It seems like that. But this guy comes back like, well, I knew. And so I, he says, I took what I had. And he said, um, look, at, look at what he says in verse 25. Why he did his excuse for not trying. He didn't try at all. He didn't take what was given him and do a thing with it. What did he do? He buried it. Why? It says verse 25. I was afraid and I went and hid it in the ground. I was afraid. That was his whole excuse. And his fear came from his misunderstanding of the master. Because my opinion is, that's not the way the master was. In the context of this, he's very loving and very giving. But if you have an incorrect view of the master, watch it. 
If you have an incorrect view of God and an incorrect understanding of God, if you have one that's unbiblical, then everything else in your life is going to be messed up too. Okay? And you need to get it straight from his book. Because perfect love casts out fear, he tells us in 1 John 4.18. You don't have to be afraid. You don't have to be. That's why I, we didn't even plan that song. And it was kind of put together last minute. And I walked in. I said, yeah, that's going to work today. No longer a slave to fear because that exactly goes with the message today. You don't have to be a slave. Now, whenever he made this accusation against the Lord of the Master that you're a hard man, you reap where you did and so and all that, he doesn't dispute what he said, even though I believe it was wrong. You know why? Because the guy's excuse is so bad that the master takes his own words and tears it apart. If the man really believed that, if what he said really was true, if he really was that kind of master, then your own words condemn you because if you knew that, then you would know that at least you had better put it in the bank and draw some interest. You would have known that. So I'm not buying the excuse I'm not buying it at all. The master doesn't try to defend himself. He just takes the guy's own words and tears him apart with it. So why was this guy afraid? It's not that he spent it on himself. If he had spent it on himself, that would be misappropriation. The point is he didn't appropriate it at all. He buried it. According to him, it's because he was too scared to even try. Now, I might be spiritualizing this passage a little bit, but I don't really think so because I don't buy into his excuse. And I don't think Jesus bought into his excuse either because he didn't just say, well, uh, Jesus called, I mean, the, the, in the story, okay, in the story, the master, what does he call him? Lazy, wicked, and unprofitable. So I think that's what he was because the master in the story represents Jesus. He was all of those things. Um, so... That's what he was. Now, um, he might represent too many of us today who for various reasons, we may not consider ourselves wicked or anything like that, but we may be lazy and unprofitable servants because what the Lord has entrusted with us, we just kind of bury it. (laughs) We just don't do anything. We just don't care. Because we don't understand the master. And those are the two biggest problems in the church today in our society. Did you know that? Ignorance and apathy. Someone asked, what's the two biggest problems we have in our church today? And one guy said, I don't know, and I don't really care. That summed it up. I don't know ignorance, and I don't care apathy. That's what those things mean. And I think this is the problem, and this is our problem today, and we're going to get firsthand word here of what God thinks about that. And I feel so convicted about it because I feel like sometimes I've been given so much. It's easy to look around and think about what other people have or what's wrong in your life instead of thinking about what's right and think about what, what, is, is, is what hurts, you know, and what's not going well instead of thanking God for what is working and what does go well and things. I do that. I don't know about you, but uh, I need to focus on those blessings. And I, I feel like sometimes I've been given so much and I feel like I do so little with so much. 
But this comes to the end of this when he says that the one that has will be given more. See, see, that's the thing. If he can trust, if he, listen, if what he's given you, he can't trust you to manage it wisely, and 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 as he directs, why should he give you more? You know, if you can't get your attitude straight in that job you have, and and be a godly influence. And, and, and make it, why should he give you that other job you're trying to get? Huh? See, if I, if I can't do any better than that right here, why would I deserve more? So before that next thing happens that God wants to give you because he ends up taking away and giving this other, and it might be that if we're faithful, and it might be that if we take what he gives us with our time, our talent, our treasures, and we invest it wisely for God, realizing it all comes from him, and it's all going to him, and it all belongs to him, if we do that with our life, we're going to get to enjoy those things. We're going to get to enjoy that blessing. It is going to bless us, but we're going to honor him and glorify him with it all. And when he sees us doing that, even in the midst of of struggles and trials and maybe some failures, he's going to see that you're ready for more. But if I'm going to complain and if I'm going to just bury it because I don't like it, why should he give me anything different? The guy says that he was afraid. He's using fear. Maybe he was afraid. Fear is a tool that the enemy uses so often. Hmm? I'd like to say I'm not afraid of anything, but truth is, yeah, we're afraid. We're afraid to try sometimes. That fear comes from an ignorance about God and His Word. Or that fear could come from, listen, from something that happened to you in your past. The devil wants to keep beating you over the head with it. That's got you paralyzed. You know, one thing we said years ago, we preached a whole series on being, well, it's been a long time ago. Um, a lot of you weren't even here then. I'm being frozen with fear. Fear paralyzes. So if the enemy can get us afraid, afraid of rejection, afraid of failure, afraid of our past, afraid of whatever, when somebody's really afraid, they just freeze. They don't know what to do. That's what Satan wants to do. He wants to paralyze you. He might not be able to keep you from believing in Christ But if he can get you paralyzed by fear, he can neutralize the influence that God may have through you in his kingdom. And he always tries to, and that's what this guy admitted, that he was afraid. So you never attempt to walk by faith. You never attempt trusting God to work in and through your life. And maybe it is something from your past that you're afraid he'll bring up or that he keeps trying to bring up. Hey, listen to this. Maybe one reason why Satan keeps bringing up something from your past is because you have changed and he hasn't got any good new material to work with. So he has to keep dragging that stuff up, huh? Yeah, it's under the cross. Deal with it. Don't hide from it. Go on. But don't let fear paralyze you. They tell me, they say, who are they? You know, them, those people say that those experts out there say there are really only two fears that we're born with, that we're born as a little baby, and um, that uh, it is the fear of falling and the fear of loud noises. That's why we, I just decided I'd just be loud all the time around our kids when they were babies, so they would be kind of like used to that, right? Um, you know, some of our family members, they would just all be so quiet, and I would always make their babies cry. Uh, but anyway, uh, just telling the story. But um, the thing about it is, is that if all other fears that we have are learned, then it means they can be unlearned. And God wants to help us with that. So this is something that Corey Tinboom said. 
that, um, oh, yeah, sorry, I got ahead of myself. His fear came from a misunderstanding of the master. If you have the wrong view of the master, you'll do the wrong thing with what he gave you. Let me just back up and make a point, okay? Yeah, yeah. You'll do the wrong thing with what he gave you if you have the wrong understanding of who he is. You got that? All right. Corey Ten Boom said this. Never be afraid to trust an unknown future to a known God. Corey Ten Boom spent part of her young adult life, teenage life in a German concentration camp. Watched her family die. Thing that happens is we get into this deal, here's what I call it, the what if mode. You ever do that? I have to confess to you that you would think as I grow older and get more spiritually mature that I would be stronger. But I'm gonna tell you, I think it's getting worse. I don't know what's happening. I think as I'm getting older, I I I, I may be worrying more. And sometimes because of that, I'm afraid to try or I'm afraid to walk by faith. I'm not talking about just being wise about things in life that we should be concerned about. I'm talking about getting the what ifs. The enemy whispers this in your mind. What if? What if? What if? Man with the talent said he was afraid to do anything because of what if? For example, what if I fail? What if people laugh at me? What if people talk about me? What if I look stupid? What if things don't change? What if things do change? What What if the doctor has bad news? What if my marriage doesn't get better? What if I have to live the rest of my life like this? What if I don't get that job? Are you following me here? Come on. What if I have to keep the job I have? What if my children turn out bad? What if something happens to someone I love? What if I can't pay all the bills? What if I have to live alone and by myself? I can keep going till I get to yours. But I guarantee you the devil has a what-if scenario that he likes to play in your mind, doesn't he? He likes to play it over and over and over, kind of like a broken record. Millennials, broken record, that means one of those, like, you know, things we used to play. Uh, you put it on a turntable and put, you know, the needle down and it plays, it gets a scratch, it skip, and then it would say the same thing and it would repeat and it would repeat and it would repeat and you had to go over and just kind of bump it a little bit and then it would go on with the song, right? But the devil keeps that whole thing going over and over like a broken record, all right? So it reminds me of a story in the Bible where there was a what-if scenario. Do you remember the story in Daniel about those, what we call the three Hebrew children, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego? You remember that? They weren't really children. They were probably young adults. But they were faced with a horrible situation in, in Daniel chapter 3 that Nebuchadnezzar got his God complex gone, going on. And he's like, decided, I want to be God for like a little while here. And he made this big image and he wanted everybody to bow down and worship him. Well, these guys only worship God. And so they decided we are not going to bow and worship this idol no matter what. Well, if we get caught, what if? What if we get caught? Well, I can tell you the what if. He says, if you don't do this, you're going to be thrown into a furnace of fire where they smelted. Or they melted, you know, and purified metal, did all that stuff. They're going to throw you in there. So there's a what if for you. So uh, they decided, we don't have to make a decision on this. We're not bowing. It was time for them to take a stand for the Lord. That no matter what God lets happen here, you know, whenever they were confronted, sure enough, they were caught and even gave them a second chance. And they said, we just want you to know, we don't have to think about this, that we're not going to bow that our God is able to deliver us, but even if, 
Even if. Mercy Me's got that song, Even If, isn't it? And Micah Tyler's got a song, Even If. And, and those are good ministering tools to me. But, but they said, even if he doesn't, we're not going to bow. I, no matter what happens, no matter whether God does what I think he's going to do or not, I trust in him. If all you hear is, what if? What if, remember, fear takes over in my life when I give more weight to my what ifs than to what God says and to who he is. When I give more weight to my what ifs than I do to who God is and what he says he's going to do. That's how fear operates. We misplace our faith. We trust in the wrong things. Now, I'm not arguing against having wisdom and being wise about stuff, but we got to analyze and make wise decisions. But go ahead and ask the question, like they did. What if I do this and it goes bad? What if I try and fail? Whatever God's moving in your life. What if I trial and... Well, then play that out. Because what if I try and this happens then the next thing is not only what if, but that would. That would mean for them, what if we don't bow? That would mean be thrown, being thrown into a fiery furnace, right? So your what if progresses to a that would. So let's just analyze it. What if I do this and this happens? That would mean what? Um, with the three young men, we know what it meant. That they thought we won't bow, And if he doesn't deliver us, that would mean that we will die a horrible death in a fire. But we won't back down our commitment to God. He will have our backs. We might die in a moment, but then we will live with him forever. So it would be not as bad in the end as not trusting him. So that helps us to all of a sudden we begin to get God's perspective. And when we get God's perspective, it takes the initial fear that we have because we are going to have those times of fear. We're going to have those times where we what if. We're going to have those times where we got to progress to that wood and it sounds painful. But then whenever we really do that, we get God's perspective. And when we get God's perspective, we find that he likes to take our initial fear and convert it into a stronger faith. And because you went through the fear, you come out with a stronger faith instead of a weaker faith and burying it and hiding. That's what God wants. Sometimes bad things do happen to Christians. But that's when we get to the next statement. They said that would mean the being, but our God is able. Amen? That, so go from what if to that would to God is. I'll never forget, after moving here, my father-in-law, Brother Glenn, he preached a whole sermon on these two words, God is. Just God is. I'll never forget that. God is. They said our God is able. So let's put it all together. Are you ready? Are you ready? No matter what if. All right? No matter what if. No matter how bad your what if would be, you must believe that God is. No matter how bad your what if would be, you must believe that God is is they said our god is able 
God is a big, God is bigger than this. God is greater than this. So we have these stages. You see, let's look at it. We have the what if stage. That's where I panic. That's where I'm like, oh, what am I going to do? What am I going to do? But then I begin to just, I'm going to trust God and play it out. Whatever happens, that would, that may be the painful part. But then I want to keep progressing. I want to move on from that, uh, from those, that, that, those things that ring in my head and my heart, what if, and that would, to the promise, the promise that comes from the word of God, that our God is, our God is, that's a promise, he is our sustainer, he's promised, he's promised to be our protector, he's promised God is sufficient for every single need, God is able to keep you from being tempted above what you're able to stand, God is greater than all your problems, God is greater than all your pain, God does promise to deliver you into his eternal kingdom where nothing bad will ever, ever touch you again, period. He said that you could fear those who want to kill your body, but you shouldn't. You really should fear the one who could destroy your body and soul in hell. Fear God. If you have the right kind of fear, it eliminates the wrong kind of fear. So this is where we go to. Don't let your what if cause you to never see that God is. Have more faith in who God is than in your what if. Don't be afraid to step out and walk by faith. Don't be afraid if God's calling you to move in a certain direction to follow him. Stay in his word. Stay in prayer. Be obedient. Don't bury it. Invest it. Don't be afraid to fail. You know, it's like we're going to try to do things a little different. I was telling Curtis earlier, I said, you know, probably if we're not doing some things around here that we back up afterwards and say, you know, that was bad, and we, it didn't work, and we'll never do it again. If that's not happening occasionally, we're probably not trying hard enough because we're just too afraid of failing to ever step out there. At least I struggle with that. I want to suggest to you, as we get ready to close, that it would be better to step out in faith and fail than to be paralyzed by fear. It would be better. So one last question before we close. All right, what if that would, God is, one last thing. What if you don't? You have to ask yourself that. What if you don't? What if you don't? I can look back in my life and some big steps, just like even when we left Oklahoma with three babies, twins that had been born five weeks premature and were only about, what, four months old and... Didn't even, couldn't even find a place to live here. You know, that was, there was a lot of what ifs. But if I had been a slave to my what ifs, I'd never known any of you guys. Well, just a few of you I already did know. But anyway, when I play the what ifs tune backwards, I hear a different song now. But at the time, you don't know, right? At the time, I couldn't see. Right now, you can't see. But God does see, and he's just saying, trust me and take the next step. Faith is believing in advance what will only make sense in reverse. And I believe, and God is still good, even when I lost that thing I thought I couldn't live without. God is still good. I found that out. He's better than anything I could ever know in this world. I begin to find out that His grace is sufficient to carry me through. I begin to find out that nothing's too big for Him. I begin to find out that the nightmare that I'm going through is nothing compared to His power. Back to the story of the talent before we close. 
There's one thing I purposely omitted, and it's a telltale word from this wicked, unprofitable servant. It occurs in verse 25 when he hands back that one talent, and what does he say? Look at it. He says, here is what was yours. Did you hear that? He never really viewed himself as having any part in it. The Lord had given it to him and expected him to put it to good use, but he looked at it as if he had no part in it. Here's what's yours. We often fear the cost of stepping out in faith, but when's the last time you counted the cost of staying locked in fear? It cost this man with a talent much more because of his fear than it would have cost him if he had even lost everything in faith. It's all his. It belongs to him. Let's honor him with it. Let's not be afraid to try. Let's not be afraid to walk by faith. Father, help us, I ask.